Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, Restoration Church. It is great to be together. Uh, And... um, I, uh, I'm so glad that we get to be here. My name is Nate Gagnon, the lead pastor of Restoration Church. And our, our time of preaching, we gather together with, uh, with our, our churches in Milton, in Plymouth, and in Bethlehem. Will you guys welcome them? Say hi to them. We have, uh, I think... I think if I remember right, 16 water baptisms happening across our locations today. It's very amazing. It's awesome. We, we don't just, uh, we're not water baptized because of like, you know, it's kind of like a religious ceremony that we're doing. No, what we're doing is something much greater and much deeper than that. As those who are getting baptized are telling the whole world, I am his. I'm following him. And that is a huge deal for all of you making that step and that decision today. Man, I'm so excited. I'm so proud of you and so glad that, uh, that we get to uh, be part of, of your spiritual journey. Well, it's week two of our series, Family Classic, and we're taking a golf theme and talking through families. And the question that we may ask, in, you know, in kind of in different language, potentially, is this question, is my family on par? Is, you know, how does my family compare to everybody else? Am I doing okay? Am I doing bad? Uh, why is their family better than ours? Why? Uh, and all types of questions that we look and we evaluate ourselves. And so we're looking at scripture and we're not trying to compare ourselves to anybody else. We talked about it last week. There's not a ranking, a leaderboard of the top families in the church and you're trying to uh, surpass anybody else and get to the top. Uh, if, you're, if you're thinking that way, playing that way, be relieved because God's not scoring us or ranking us. He's just teaching us. He's trying to ha- have his glory shine through your marriage, your relationships, your, uh, your, your entire family, and even as a church family, that his glory will be revealed. What does that mean? That because of how we interact, because of how your family interacts, because of how you as husband and wife interact, that people will see that Jesus is real. His glory would be revealed. They would see he is actually real. He is actually God's son and uh, powerful and able to do the impossible. So that doesn't mean that your family's perfect because in your difficulties and in your struggles, they can see that the power of God is able to sustain you and keep you. And sometimes that's a greater testimony than them thinking, you know, than just pretending that we're perfect or, um, or nothing really ever going wrong. Things will go wrong. There will be struggles. But when you maintain Jesus through it all, when he holds you and keeps you, Man, doesn't that say to everybody else, how did you make that through? And we're going to say, well, 100%, it was only Jesus that carried us through that season. Now, as we continue this series, um, I want to just give you a golf description or golf definition for those of you who don't know. And Ethan, someone asked me this morning, what does par mean? So we've got to teach a little bit about that. But 
When a golfer places a golf ball on a tee and then strikes the golf ball with a golf club, the golfer is said to have teed off. Now, when the parent of a toddler enters the child's room and sees that the toddler has removed their diaper and begun finger painting with the contents, that parent is also said to be teed off. Today, guys, I want to talk to you about managing your emotions because the only emotions, the emotions that we have are not only good emotions. In, in any relationship you have, you're going to experience the full spectrum of emotions. How do you handle that? How do you handle the bad and the good? And uh, how do you survive these bad things? Now, golf is a sport known for making grown adults act like babies. I've got here a short clip for you of an example. This was one golfer twice on the same course here in 2020. Classic throwing the club. And then a couple holes later, you'll see, bam, Bo Jackson's that golf club. I won't say his name, mostly because I can't remember. Oh, it's right there highlighted, Murray. Um, he was shooting a plus 15, which for me, it's amazing. But for this guy, how, what a loser. Call yourself a golfer. Now, we're going to talk about managing our emotions. Here's, it all starts really in a, maybe in a different way than you think. It starts with your mouth. What happens is when stuff begins to percolate inside, it begins to belch out or vent out through our, through our mouth. And if we're going to manage our emotions, what we're going to see and study today is it begins here first. That if you can get control of this bit of flappy skin, if you can get control of this, then you're going to have an opportunity to really grow. And, uh, and you think, how can one small part of our whole body affect so much? But if you can get control of this, as we'll see and study, you will be on that path of, uh, of following Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and you'll find yourself in much greater control of your emotions in, in, in the bad or even in the good. Now, we're going to read here from James chapter 3. I've got quite a bit here and, uh, and a short amount of time because we have our baptisms, so I'm going to roll through this. If you've got your Bibles, you can open it. You can open your phones and follow along. It won't be on the screens here just because I forgot to tell them I was reading this much, uh, but we're going to roll anyway. They'd have a hard time keeping up. Uh, for those of you who are old, this is going to be like the Micro Machines guy. Here we go. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Pause right there. Yesterday, we had a bunch of teenagers in our church participating in fine arts, which is a national um, ministry development tool to help teenagers discover their gifts, to develop their gifts, and then to use their gifts for the kingdom of God. So we had uh, maybe a dozen teenagers from Restoration Church participating in that yesterday. I think four of them, four of them were, were preaching yesterday, participating in short sermons. So we had four teenagers, I mean, we have more than that in the church, uh, but four teenagers who yesterday participated and say, hey, maybe I would have a gift of preaching. 
And I'd like to discover that. I'd like to develop that. And listen, those of you teenagers who signed up for that, that's that verse for you. If you want to become a teacher in the church, get ready because you will be judged more strictly. And uh, some of you are like, okay, never mind. <laughs> about, what about singing on stage? How does that work? Yeah, they do whatever they want. Um, so, verse number two, indeed, we will all make many mistakes where if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. So you want to talk about managing your emotions, controlling your emotions. How do you react when you're teed off? Well, it begins with controlling ourselves with our mouth. We can make a horse, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Our mouth, our tongue. Let's work through this. All right, some things from this scripture, and we'll pull in some scriptures out so we're in the Bible because James was not the only um, uh, biblical writer to talk about this. The tongue is powerful. We've seen that. It, is, it can set your whole life on fire. Now, a couple of things that it talks through. One, it's difficult to control, and we read this in verse number two. If we could just control our tongues, we would be perfect. If we could just control our tongues, our marriages would be perfect. If we could just control our tongues, man, how different things would be. The tongue has the power to control the whole body. We read that in verses two, verses two through five. And then it reflects the true expression of the inward man. What is inside is going to come out through your mouth. We read that in verses 11 through 12. Now, not only there, but Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 12. He said this in verses 34 and 35. You brood of snakes, he was talking to the religious leaders of the day. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. What is in there? What is in there? What are you cultivating? What are you thinking? What, are, what is brewing there? This is going to come out. 
The tongue is powerful and it has the power to do both good and evil. And certainly we've highlighted this evil part, but verses 9 through 10 speak about this. We look in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 15 and it talks a lot about the tongue and how we speak in that chapter. And the, the tongue and the way we speak, it has the power to diffuse a situation. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The way that we use our mouth in our relationships, the way we use our mouth in our families can make it worse or it can make it better. Our mouths can be used to help others grow. Proverbs 15.2 says, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. We have these thoughts of how our relationships can grow, how the people that we're in relationship can grow. And we can use our mouth, when we use it in knowledge and not in reaction, we can help each other to grow. Iron sharpens iron, right? That's not just for men's group. That's in our relationship. That's in our our marriage relationship. That's in our our family relationship. We can help each other grow. And there's some people that you love to learn from. There's some people that you love to grow from because they, what do they do? They make it appealing. There's others that make us dig in our heels and be like, oh, you thought I was bad before. Get ready for what comes out next. Our tongues in Proverbs 15, 4 also shows that we have the power within our words and how we speak to bring someone to life or to cultivate and bring death into a person. Verse number four reads, gentle words are a tree of life and obviously making a connection to the Garden of Eden, that tree which is going to bring perpetual life and joy for Adam and Eve and all who would follow but that it says this, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And, and certainly if you've ever uh, parented a small child or you're a parent of a small child, you recognize that maybe you've lost your temper one time and you see their little spirit get crushed. And if you're sensitive to that, you're aware of that, you're, you didn't mean to do that, you feel heartbroken and you work to correct that and Restore that. But some, that's what they want. They want to crush your spirit. And maybe you've, you grew up in a home like that, or maybe that is your parenting approach. If you crush their spirit, well, then they're just going to do whatever you want. But our goal is not just to get our kids and our family to do whatever we want. Our, our heart and our goal should be to cultivate and bring life into them, the life of God into them, and help them to discover who God made them to be, and in the process, help ourselves discover who God made them to be. Are you speaking life or death into your marriage? And sometimes that maybe is not face-to-face, but under our breath as we walk into the other room. The way we talk about our marriage with our friends or our family, are you speaking life into that relationship or death into that relationship? I tell you what, you're speaking death into that relationship. It will come to pass exactly as you've planned. But if you're speaking life into that relationship, I'll tell you this as well. 
It will come exactly as you planned. Your relationship will move forward in the way you speak about it. What about into your kids? Are you speaking life into them or are you speaking death into them? And that is a hard thing to do. It's easy to do when they're, you know, when their noses aren't running and they're doing the right thing and they're just little angels. But what do you do the other 23 hours of the day? And when they're defiant and they're sinful and they're broken, it's easy to speak into that part of them. To speak to them in a demeaning way, to speak to them in an intimidating way, and to crush their spirit. Even as an adult, you have that ability, even if they're an adult, you have that ability to crush them. A little principle here. All right, if you lose your cool, you lose your kids. And that's not saying you can never lose your cool. I lose my cool, all right? I'm, I'm like, I lose my cool so much you'd think I was menopausal. <laughs> that's probably a joke I should have filtered. I'm having a hot flash now. It's not to say you can't lose your cool, but as we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, are you, are you repentant when you do? Is there a sincere brokenness for your sin? But if you just live the life of a tyrant, they will build up walls against you. You'll destroy that relationship and you won't have ability to have the relationship that you really, you truly want because your mouth has spoken death and created death in that relationship. Scripture goes on to talk about the benefits of a domesticated tongue. If you are able to tame this thing through the power of the Holy Spirit, there are a number of benefits listed. Number one, in Proverbs ten nineteen, it says that you avoid sin. Proverbs 21, 23 says that it keeps you out of trouble. Proverbs 17, 27 through 28 says, it makes you appear wise. So you may not be wise at all, but if you're able to control your tongue, no one would know how dumb you are. That's great. That's great wisdom from the Lord. God's like, hey, I didn't, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, I may, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I give you different gifts, but you don't have to show everybody Anyway, I won't. <laughs> a domesticated tongue brings long-term friendships. Psalm chapter 55, verses 12 through 14. Uncontrolled tongues can make even the closest friends become enemies. But if you're able to tame your tongue, this does not mean that you're walked all over, but you're not gossip, you're not malicious, you're not backbiting then you can maintain friendships for a long time. So let's talk about you for a little bit, all right? If you find yourself teed off, how do you manage your emotions? What do you do? It's not healthy to just stuff it, pretend everything's good when it isn't good, 
to just pretend like you've got no problems. You've got the joy of the Lord. That's not what I'm advising. That's going to that's going to give you that's going to create a significant mental health crisis in your life eventually. Eventually you get to the place where it would just be implosion. But how do you do that? In that moment, you're set off, you're irritated, something bad, your kid talks back to you, your husband talks back to you, something happens. And you're just in rate, you just feel it, right? You feel it. What do you do? How do you manage that? In the book, Lead Like Jesus, Ken Blanchard gives, he, he's talking about, in, in a, in a, even in a work environment, but he's talking about when to make decisions and what, when not to make decisions. And he uses the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T, HALT. When you feel all of that emotion rise up, it all, it is in your back, it is in the back of your neck, it's in your jaw, like you are feeling it. Halt, stop for a second. And to do a quick evaluation on what is going on. So you stop, all right, I'm feeling all this emotion, I'm really angry, I'm really upset, I've got a lot of negative emotion, I wanna respond based on that negative emotion. First thing you gotta check is, am I hungry? And this is so stupid. This is so stupid. Is it true that you would mistreat your family members because you're hungry? Yeah. It is true. Michelle and I had a conversation this morning, and uh, and I'm actually trying to remember. Anyway, I won't say it. No, I should say something. Michelle and I have a conversation this morning of she, she's starting to hate when I mention her name in a message because she doesn't know what I'm going to say next. And she actually confessed that she doesn't tell people in Milton that she's married to me because of what I might say on a Sunday morning. So that's wild. So I don't have permission to share this story. I remember, I remember um, here in the Dover church, we were driving here and we were swinging around the dumpster to like throw, throw away some stuff, like maybe a couple of coffee cups or something that was in the car. And we were having a conversation and Michelle reacted to me pretty negatively. And I instantly thought, we're going to have another baby. And two weeks later, she found out she was pregnant. But I knew two weeks before that. Why? Because when she was pregnant, <laughs> which leads into the next emotion she's feeling right now, angry. You begin to, oh, no, I'm, I'm well fed. <laughs> and so, you, but you begin, all right, before I respond to this, what am I feeling? Anger. You got to let anger subside. 
before you move into the conversation. And if you're trying to have the conversation and anger is increasing, you got to be able to say, hey, let's take, a, let's take a pause break here and let's reset. Let's come back when we've got cooler heads. Because you start getting angry and that conversation is not, it's not productive. You begin, you're going to end up using your tongue to cause damage to each other and saying some things you can't take back. Pause. Take a break. If you're the one who's like after it, after it, and they're like, I need a break, I need a pause, don't continue chasing them from room to room, uh, whether it's your spouse or your kids or your neighbor. Uh, don't continue chasing them room to room trying to finish a conversation. Recognize you are angry. Recognize it. Take a break. Stop. And sometimes you've got to take some time and pray. Sometimes you got to take some time to process so you can come into the conversation and act and speak in a mature and godly way. Here's the next one. This is the one that I'll be feeling after my story this morning. Lonely. <laughs> if you're feeling lonely, this, has, this can cause us to not be able to use our to not manage our emotions well, it causes us to misspeak, to attack, to hurt. Sometimes you notice that when people are lonely, they push people away and they perpetuate that loneliness. Isn't, don't you see that? Doesn't that? Isn't that true? And so because you're, ha you're, you're feeling a distance between you and your teenager, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling like you're losing that relationship and so you start you start losing your mind and, and yelling out, you don't, whatever, you know, whatever. And then what happens? It causes even greater distance. You recognize, okay, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what that's causing. And in our age of, of, of phones and devices, and um, we, we often, even as a family, we're not spending very much time together. It was not long ago where there wasn't, uh, wasn't any sort of uh, of, of device or screen to watch. So your family, you spent a lot of time together. Your next neighbor was maybe a, a, a mile or two down the road. It was the family unit that was together. Then when the radio came, the family would gather around to listen to the radio. For many years, there was only one screen in the house and you would watch it together. And I was, you, you know, I'm, I'm not that old, but I remember being a kid and being like, Dad, for real, do we have to watch Cheers? Can't we watch anything else? And it was like, no, you're going to watch Cheers, and then we're going to really scare you and make you watch Rescue 911 and Unsolved Mysteries, and we'll teach you how to have nightmares. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I forgive you. Uh, we, uh, we end up now, because our families are all over the place, we have very few shared experiences. And that can bring a loneliness, because you have an inside joke that they don't have. You went on a vacation they didn't go on. You have friends that they don't have. And you have very few shared experiences. And that creates loneliness, even if you're with each other all the time. Figure out how you set a new rhythm. 
of putting down devices, doing things together, creating inside jokes together, and having those shared memories and experiences. Next thing here is tired. And I'll say this, you're probably doing too much. Your kids are probably doing too much. All right, because we're trying to keep our family on par, we have got them involved in everything. We are involved in everything. We've got to figure out a new rhythm, a rhythm of Sabbath, a rhythm of worship, a rhythm of relationship, and all of those other things as add-ons. Life can't revolve around sports. Life can't revolve around school. We've got to begin to say, what does our family look like? What should it look like? And some of the reasons that we're mistreating each other is because we're all fried. We're going to bed too late. We're waking up too early. It's run, 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 run. Go to sleep, wake up, do it again. Nonstop, 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 nonstop. One of the things that um, Michelle and I started doing, we don't do it all the time, but if we get really busy, I'll start, we, we have a calendar, Google Calendar, I'll start blocking off times in the calendar that says nothing. So next Thursday, nothing. And that reminds both of us, nothing. Don't schedule anything. No friends are going over. No friends are coming over. We're not scheduling a meeting. We're not, you're not allowed to have emergencies. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing's going on. Pastor, it's an emergency. You hold on, all right? <laughs> you wait a minute. You have to establish that. Now, in golf, there's another, there's a type of golf match called a team scramble. And that is where you have, you know, it can be two players or four players. And you each hit the ball and then you play best lie. So whoever has the best shot, you will all then place your ball there and you'll all shoot from there. So every team's doing that. I told you last week that my golf game's not very good. When I play in a team scramble, I, don't, I score myself by how many of my balls were actually used. I think my record is three. <laughs> well, that's not good either. But that guy, he was a crappy golfer. Me, I'm much worse. Um, you play best life. Here's, here's the principle for managing your emotions, all right? To use teamwork. And this happened in our family last night where Michelle said, I can, it's your turn and tag team out. For the single parent, you don't have that luxury. This is part of the church community, the beauty of the church family. To be able to check your kids into that kid's wing, to be able to drop your kid off at youth group, to be able to say, hey, can you help me out? Can you babysit? Can I watch your kids? Can we trade? Can they... To have other people speaking into their lives, other people helping. You can't do it alone. You're not supposed to do it alone. Even as a married couple, you're not supposed to do it alone. Utilize and help each other. Band is welcome to join me. I'm going to close with these thoughts and then we'll move into our baptisms. Imagine if you got control of your tongue. Imagine if it brought forth life and not death. Imagine the difference that would make in the dynamic of your home, the difference it would make in your everyday life. 
if every member of your family was managing their emotions. Now we're all at different places. Sometimes we, you expect more out of your four-year-old than, 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 you, even, um, than you even live your, yourself with your, with your spouse. But just imagine if we were. The peace of God that would fill that home, the joy of God that would fill that home if we lived with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit empowering us on a daily basis. When you're feeling angry and you're feeling teed off and you're thinking through halt, guess what? The Holy Spirit gives you the self-control to bite that tongue, to come into a place of, uh, uh, of peace or at least a place of self-control. And then to, be have a, then to have a conversation, even a very difficult conversation with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that those are the things that your conversations are known for, even the most difficult ones. What happens is God gets the glory. He gets the glory. It's not about you winning an argument or you proving your point. God gets the glory. All of a sudden, his fruit, his testimony is over your life. And he does and will do miraculous things. If you close your eyes, if you're feeling like, you know what, I've, I've used my tongue and I, I've just, it's been scorched earth around me. The way I've used it, I've just brought death, 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 death. Do you need to confess that before Jesus? controlled my tongue. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Maybe there's people that you're sitting in church with or people that you need to call and ask for their forgiveness. You know what? They may not respond in an appropriate way, but one of the ways that we can show that we're repentant is by actually being repentant. When they try to lure you into a fight and make you act like you used to act or the way that they make you act like the way you're calling to apologize for when you don't respond you say yeah that's why i'm calling that's why i'm repenting that's why i'm asking for your forgiveness you begin slowly to rebuild that relationship i want to encourage you speak life don't lose your temper and say are you so stupid are you so dumb are you how could you begin to listen begin to halt begin to speak life jesus we love you we praise you we praise your name we just ask you jesus to move in every place in our life and god we ask you specifically to help us tame our tongue God, we can't control it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us, to work through us, to change us and transform us. And we want to live like Jesus. 
We want to speak like Jesus. We want to treat our other, treat others the way that Jesus would treat them. We pray that you forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for speaking to your sons and daughters the way that we have. Forgive us for the cussings and the jokes and the just the, the venom that's come out of our mouth. We ask you to transform us from our how from from our inside to our outside. We pray that what burst forward now, God, won't be a salty spring, but it would be a fresh, life-giving spring that others would enjoy and appreciate and be blessed by. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.